0: Let me remind you from last week's message from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, that Paul made this statement to the Corinthians. He said, I cannot speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So Paul makes no bones about the fact that The church that he's addressing, the people that he is speaking to are Christians. They have a relationship with Christ. They are in Christ, but they're not spiritual people. It is possible for us to be Christians, to be saved and yet not be spiritual because we've already learned from our study of the Holy Spirit that a spiritual person is one that is living supernaturally through the Spirit. It is one whose priorities are being prompted and promoted by the Spirit. And we saw what some of those priorities were last week. Now Paul continues talking here in chapter 12 about the Holy Spirit and his role in our life and what it means to be truly spiritual people. And he begins in chapter 12. Look at the first couple verses where Paul says, with regard to spiritual gifts. Actually, in the Greek New Testament, the word gifts is not there. Uh, It was added later because of the context, because it's clear later on that Paul's talking about spiritual gifts here. But literally, it is the spirituals, is what Paul says. With regard to the spirituals. The Greek word is pneumotikos. It is different from the word that Paul usually uses when he's talking in the context of spiritual gifts. What is, the, what is the word charismata? Okay? So Paul here is talking about spirituals. Literally, the supernatural. And Paul wants to remind the Corinthians and us of this. The reality of the Supernatural. We do not just live in the natural world. There is a supernatural world out there. And we are connected to it and are influenced by it. Whether we believe in it or not. That's why Paul goes on to say, With regard to spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed, not to know or to ignore something. Because then he says, You know, verse 2, that when you were pagans... When you were not worshipers of the true God, you were often led astray, influenced by speechless idols. However, you were led. In other words, Paul's saying, you were led by something other than yourself. Something in the spiritual world, something supernatural. So I want you to know and understand, Paul says it in verse 3, that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The first point that Paul wants to make is again telling us the reality of the spiritual world, the reality of the supernatural, and our connection to it, and our influence by it. Paul says, don't ignore that. Don't be ignorant of that. You and I are connected to the supernatural. And by having the Holy Spirit of God living within us as Christians, we are connected to the supernatural world every day. And Paul is saying, you realize just because something is supernatural, though, doesn't mean it's from God. There are two sources for everything supernatural. It either comes from God as its source, or it comes from a satanic or demonic origin. That's why Paul says what he does in verse 2 to them. He says, Even before you came to Christ by faith, Even when you were pagans and you were not worshipping the true God, he says, you realized you were being influenced by spiritual forces, by supernatural forces that were in the things that you were worshipping, that maybe even some of the things that you thought were harmless, weren't so harmless. They're not just artifacts. They're, They're not just things that you sit around the house. Or what I would say today to apply this to us is, It's not just a song, or it's not just a movie or a television show. It's not just this or that. There is nothing that is absolutely harmless. It's either going to have a source that is ultimately from God, or it's going to have a, a demonic, satanic source, and it's going to try to influence us from this spiritual, supernatural world. And we as spiritual people... Ought to be aware that we are connected to the supernatural world by through God, but we are also in that supernatural world and can be influenced by the other side, if you will. And so truly spiritual people get this. They, they understand what they are a part of, and in a sense, they appreciate it and, and they have respect for it sort of like in our day and age where there are people that have power and had positions of power but they have no respect for the things that 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 they wield and and the power that they have i i think at least for a while until recently about that young man there in north korea who had power at his fingertips but we wondered yeah does he really respect and understand what he has? Well, God is saying the same thing You realize you have God living within. You have great power, but you better be careful how you wield it and how you use it. And be careful about this other supernatural source over here too, because it is very powerful and you must respect it and be careful about it and be cautious of it. Because again, the things that you and I may think are harmless... And cannot affect our spirit, cannot influence us in any way, will influence us if we allow them to. So then Paul in what he does in verse 3 because of this. He says, when you and I are under the control of the Holy Spirit, and we are in tune with God, then we always know that because Jesus Christ will be elevated, Jesus Christ will be magnified, Jesus Christ will be lifted up. There is no way that a satanic or demonic source is going to lift up and magnify and celebrate Jesus. So you know that that's going to be coming from God's Spirit whenever you see that happening in our lives and in the life of local churches. You know that that's the source. But there's something else that Paul's saying here as well. You see, for the Corinthians, they were very (laughs) self-centered. That's why he says, I can't speak to you as spiritual people, but as infants in Christ, as people of the flesh, because you're acting very childish, you're acting very immature, and part of that is their self-centeredness. And Paul is saying, when you and I are truly spiritual people, instead of being self-centered, we will be Christ-centered. Something else that was going on here in Corinth and why he was going to address the whole subject of spiritual gifts is because also in that church, they were gift-centered rather than Christ-centered. For them, they they were elevating the gifts and making those who had certain gifts sort of the rock stars of the church. Whoa, they're more spiritual than we are because of the certain gifts that they have. And Paul's saying... You totally miss it, don't you? You you totally don't get it. Because God didn't give you these gifts and these extraordinary powers so that you could get all this glory for it. It's so that the Christ behind it all could be glorified by it. So quit being gift-centered and start being Christ-centered. And Paul says, let's have respect for the supernatural world that we are connected to and always influenced by. That's his first point. But his second point is this, beginning in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 12. And that is, again, speaking to the church here in Corinth, as well as to our church here this morning. He's saying, collectively, corporately, we are to reflect the triune God, the Trinity. That means unity amidst diversity. The Trinity. Three persons, three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And yet the Bible teaches us over and over again, one God. One mind, one purpose, one goal. Three distinct persons, diversity, yet one God. And God says, I want my people to reflect that same ideal, that same nature, if you will, that I have to the world around them and to one another. So notice verse 4. There are different gifts. There's a variety and diversity of spiritual gifts that all Christians will have, but it's the same spirit behind it all, at work. There are even different ministries, different spirit-empowered service done with the willing attitude, but the same Lord. So in other words... Even here today, looking around this auditorium, as Christians, none of us have the same collection of gifts. We are not even called to the same ministry. And then notice what Paul says. He says, verse 6, And there are even different results, different effects, different outcomes. There's not the same result for the same ministries and the, the, the gifts. It's all different. Variety, diversity. And God says, I want my people, if they're truly spiritual people, to always celebrate the diversity that should be found in the body of Christ. We are never to be uniform. We are to be unified, but not uniform. There should always be great diversity within the body. But again, he goes on to say, but the same, verse 6, God, who produces all of them and everyone. In fact, notice throughout this passage, how many times he uses the phrase, the same spirit verse 4, same Lord, verse 5, same God, verse 6, then verse 8, the same Spirit, verse 9 twice, the same Spirit, the one Spirit, and then finally in verse 11, the same Spirit. Why? Because He wants us to understand there's diversity, but it's all coming from the same Spirit. And because God will not contradict Himself, He's not going to lead this Christian, uh, as diverse as it may be, This way, and this Christian this way, to where they contradict each other. No, no, it's always where we complement and learn to cooperate with each other. That's when we know we're truly spiritual and we're under the control of the Holy Spirit. Where we can be very diverse, because we have to be diverse. We're called to be diverse because we are reflecting the Trinity here. And they are distinct, they are diverse, and yet we always move and work and and praise God and worship Him and all of that as one. We move as one, just as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit does. That's why he says in verse 12, for just as the body is one and yet has many members. Notice verse 20, so now there are many members but one body. You say, how can a group of people who, who's so diverse, that we that yet so much variety, so many differences, how can we be unified through the Spirit? That's how we know we're connected to the Spirit and we're truly spiritual people, is when we can still be diverse from one another, where we all don't have to look alike, sound alike, do everything alike. We can Be different and actually celebrate our differences and value the differences we see in each other, but still be unified. Because that's God. That's who God is. And that was not true in Corinth. In Corinth, as we've already seen, Paul said there are divisions and factions and schisms and all these different things. You're not working together. You're not complementing one another. You're not cooperating one another. And it's because you're not living supernaturally through the Spirit. That your priorities are not the Spirit's priorities. But then, third, notice something else Paul says here. He says, every one of us in the body of Christ, every one of us in our local churches has a part to play. He says at the end of verse 6, It is the same God who produces all of them, all of these different ministries, through different gifts, with different results, in some of us? No, in everyone. And then notice verse 7. To each and every person in the body of Christ, the manifestation or expression of the Spirit is given for the benefit of all. Then notice verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and each of you, each and every one of you, is a member of it. Literally a part belonging to the whole. And Paul uses the physical human body as an illustration of that. You and I have to again acknowledge as spiritual people that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves... And that each and every one of us in the body of Christ and in the church has a part to play, has a ministry, has a place of service. Every one of us. There is no such thing as the only people that have ministries are the people, you know, in certain leadership positions, people on the stage, whatever. No, no. God is saying, truly spiritual people understand that if I'm a Christian, (laughs) If I have Christ as my Savior and the Holy Spirit inside of me, I'm a minister. I'm a servant. I have a part to play. There's something that God wants me to do because He's gifted me. He's given me a ministry and He wants me to play that part. The question would be, are we playing that part with our life right now? Notice, sometimes it comes down to how we view ourselves. In verses 14 through 20 of 1 Corinthians 12, so many Christians go, "Uh, you know what, basically I conclude they don't need me. They don't need me. For in fact, he says in verse 14, the body is not a single member, but many. If the foot says, well, since I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. It does not lose its membership in the body because of that. If the ear says, since I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it does not lose its membership in the body because of that. If the whole body were an eye, what part would do the hearing? If the whole were, a hear- were an ear, what part would exercise the sense of smell? Paul continues to say, look, none of us as Christians should view ourselves by saying, well, I don't have a part to play. I can't contribute anything. They don't need me. Paul says that's not Biblical. And a person who's under the control of the Holy Spirit will never come to that conclusion. Paul says a person under the control of the Holy Spirit who's truly spiritual will say, I have a responsibility because I'm part of something bigger than myself and there's something God wants me to do. I need to find out what that is. But there's also another side of that. How we view others, beginning in verse 21 through verse 26. Where the eye cannot also say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor in turn can the head say to the foot, I don't need you. And he goes on to talk about this. In other words, we also can't turn to others and say, I can do this on my own. I don't need you. Which again is what many Christians are today. I I don't need to belong to a community of believers. I can do this Christian life on my own. No. No. Paul said, not, not when, when you're connected to the Spirit, you realize... The whole reason why God calls us to be part of something bigger than ourselves is because God can grow us and build us up and all of that through the influence of other Christians who are using their gifts and their ministries to do their thing for God as we all do our thing for God and we all mutually benefit and encourage one another and support one another as we all come together. The problem is many times is there are Christians out there who say well they don't need me so they don't ever get involved and then there are other Christians out there that say, I don't need them. And they sort of isolate and separate themselves. And both of those extremes are not biblical and they're wrong. And notice back in verse seven, this is very important. God did not give us the things that he did. He did not give us the gifts that he did and the ministry that he did for ourselves. He did not give us these extraordinary powers and this connection to the supernatural world for our benefit. Notice Paul clearly says at the end of verse 7, it is for the benefit of all. It is for the collective, corporate, spiritual advancement of the church. That's why God brought you in and set you and placed you here and, and wants you to be a part of here or somewhere and get involved and get engaged And be faithful to what God's called you to. Why? Because God didn't call us into this body, the body of Christ, for just ourselves and for our benefit. He called us to be part of something bigger than ourselves so that as we grow and we increase and we make progress, we can also help all those around us as well. In fact, that's why Paul goes on when he talks about the gift of tongues. And says, if you're speaking primarily to God with your gift of tongues, then don't bring that gift into the church unless there's an interpreter. Because unless there's somebody that can interpret and it can benefit everyone, then keep that gift just between you and God. Because God didn't give us gifts for our own benefit. He gave them to us so that others could benefit as well. And truly spiritual people will start to really get a grasp on these principles that Paul's bringing out here in 1 Corinthians 12. Notice verse 11. The next thing Paul says. The Holy Spirit has a plan and purpose that is uniquely our own. Notice what Paul says in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 12. It is one and the same Spirit distributing, allocating, or assigning as He, which, by the way, let's point that out again in our study of the Holy Spirit. He's not a force, He is a person. He decides to each person who produces all these things. The word produces there in the original language means to have a plan and purpose for something, an intent. Which let me just take a moment and let's circle back around to Steve's messages on the image of God. Isn't that what he taught us there in those messages? is The image of God is the plan and purpose and intent God has for each of us. And notice Paul's picking up on that very point here and saying the Holy Spirit, when he called you into this body, and he gifted you, and he has a specific, you know, ministry or place for you or part for you to do, that that is, was his decision, with his wisdom as God, and he has a specific plan and purpose that is uniquely your own and shared by nobody else. So a couple of things. First of all, have we surrendered to the Spirit's plan and purpose for our lives or are we still running the show? Because again, so many Christians go, I know better than you, God. I mean, we might not say it, but by the way we're living and what we're doing or what we're not doing, we're basically saying, God, I I got this. You may have a plan and purpose for me, even within your body, but I'm going to make the final call on that. Because I know better than you. And the reason we know that attitude is so pervasive in our society is it doesn't take long for us as Christians to look around, even at other Christians, much less the world at large, and go, no one is satisfied with the way God made them. Because we all want to change things that God created us with. God gave us this color hair, we want another color hair. God created us with that color eyes, we want another color eyes. I mean, we've even gotten to the point in our world today where God created us a certain sex and we want to be another sex. Because we're not satisfied with who God made us to be and and what God gave us when he created us. We always want to change it. Because in a sense we're saying, God, I'm not satisfied with what you gave me and how you made me. I'm not content with what you did with me. So I, I want to change it. And we do the same thing with his will for our lives. God... You know, I can say, you know best and you're God and you created me and you know me better than I know myself. As David said in Psalm 139, you knit me together when I was even in my mother's womb. But somehow, God, I know better about what my life should look like than you do. And I know better about what my ministry and my service in the body of Christ and in my church should look like more than you do. So the first thing we have to ask ourselves is. If the Holy Spirit has a specific, uniquely our own ministry and plan and purpose for us, have we surrendered to it? And then secondly, we have to say, based on that too, we have to remind ourselves that comparing ourselves with others is destructive. Because that's what was happening in Corinth. And that certainly doesn't then play into this principle in 1 Corinthians 12.11. Because that's always part of the problem too, isn't it? We start looking around at other people and other Christians and we start comparing ourselves to them. Well, God, why didn't you give me that instead of this? Or why do they have that and I don't have that? See, again, that was the game that was being played in Corinth by these very immature, childish believers. God, I, I wish I had that gift. Why did you give that person that gift and not give that gift to me? Well, God, why did you call that person to that ministry and you didn't call me to that ministry? Comparing ourselves to others. See, God just wants us to get to the point where we will appreciate whatever role and whatever purpose and part he has designed for us... And whatever the Holy Spirit has, it's uniquely ours. And we'll surrender to it, and we'll be faithful to it, and we'll give it everything we've got. That's what God's looking for. You you see this play out even at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Remember the conversation at the end of the Gospel of John when when Jesus is talking to Peter? And he says, Peter, I'm just going to lay it right out there for you so you're not surprised you're going to glorify me one day, even more than you are here in a little bit, because you're going to die a martyr's death. Peter started to absorb that. And then he saw John. And just like a typical human being, Christian or not, he points to John and goes, Well, what about him? And you know what Jesus said to Peter? You can look it up in John 20. Jesus said to Peter, if I want John to live until I come back, what is that to you? Follow me, Peter. In other words, don't compare yourself to John. You just find out what I want you to do and you do it with everything you've got. It's not your concern what I've called others to do and what my plan and purpose for others are. I want you to be absorbed in what I've called you to do Peter and Paul saying the same thing. Again, let me say this. Verse 11, the spirit has a plan and purpose yet that is uniquely our own. When the Bible says the same spirit distributing as he decides to each person, that's exactly what the Bible is saying who produces all these things, has a plan and purpose for all these things. That's why the God that we know and are connected to and all of that allows us to go through certain things and whatever, because he knows exactly what part and purpose he has for our life and for our ministry and for our place in the body. And he's going to use all the things that he brings us through to just be a part of that training for us so that we can be a more effective an engaged member of his body so that we can live again for his glory and for the benefit of others around us not just for ours because we will benefit I I hope you got that as you read between the lines of my message today that when you and I surrender to the plan and purpose that God has for us we absolutely will benefit but so will others And God will get the glory for it. Something else, though, that Paul wants to remind the Corinthians and us of is this. I'm going to begin reading in verse 12 of chapter 12. For just as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so too is Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free. And here's the phrase I want you to concentrate on this morning. We were all, not some of us, we were all made to drink of the one spirit. The word drink means to be saturated with. It means to be continually furnished and supplied. So, God, so Paul here is saying, how are we sufficient for the things that we've talked about? How, how can we do the things that God has said we should be doing? And doing it in the way God said we should do it. Paul says, our sufficiency is the Holy Spirit. That's why he placed him within each of us as believers in Jesus Christ. He said, you realize now you have God himself living within you and you've not just been given a little trickle, a little splash. He says you've been made to drink. You have been saturated with the Holy Spirit of God and he is in you every minute of the day, every second of every day so that you and I can be continually furnished and supplied through the Spirit of God. So we can never say to God, God, I did not have the resources. I did not have the empowerment or the enablement or the training or the experience to be able to live up to the plan and purpose you had for me. God will simply say, did I I not give you my spirit? The problem wasn't that God did not give us what we needed. The problem was we weren't connected to the spirit that we have living within us. And we never learned to live by the spirit or walk in the spirit, as Paul says in other places. And doesn't this word drink of the one Spirit remind you of what Jesus said earlier in the Gospel of John about the Spirit? Remember the passage we looked at many weeks ago in John chapter 7 where Jesus is at its feast? Tons of people there. And Jesus stands up in the middle of this feast with tons of people there and says, If any of you are thirsty, let him come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink from the water of life Freely. For from within him will flow rivers of living water. And then John adds, and he was talking about the Spirit. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. Drink of the Spirit. Oh, that we would get up every day and literally just drink in the Spirit. Drink of the Spirit. Realize that the Holy Spirit of God... God himself literally exists, inhabits my physical body. And that he is there to continually furnish and supply me with everything I need to live up. To the plan and purpose that God has for me within the body. To do and play the part for the benefit of all and for the glory of God. To be able to reflect the diversity and yet also to maintain the unity that needs to be there in the body of Christ. And to also respect that I am connected to the supernatural and I'm always influenced by it. One way or the other. Later on in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul even says, who is sufficient for these things? Well, he's given us the answer here. We're not ever sufficient or adequate in ourselves, but we are through the power of the Holy Spirit. Folks, God wants his church to be a supernatural place Filled with supernatural people manifesting supernatural power for a supernatural purpose because we are connected to a supernatural Almighty God. That's what the church should be. When you come to our church, do you expect supernatural things to happen? We should. And yet so often for many Christians they flood into a church on Sunday or Wednesday or whenever and they they become part of a community of believers. But their expectation and anticipation is never anything supernatural. It's checking off their religious duty. It's going through the routine. It's playing church. It's I want to be entertained. (laughs) And you notice there's none of that. Paul says, no, no. The church shouldn't be about entertainment. The church should be about engaging with a supernatural God. So let me repeat what I just said using us. God wants the Oasis Church to be a supernatural place filled with supernatural people manifesting supernatural power for a supernatural purpose because we are connected to a supernatural almighty God. Do you believe God wants to do something supernatural here today? And let's stand, please. As we stand and as our worship team comes, here's what I encourage you to do. We're going to take a break in this song in just a moment. But for now, for now, I'm asking you, don't move, don't respond in any way, but for the next few moments, use these moments to receive. So often we invite people to respond to God in some way before we receive from God. And God makes it very clear before we even can respond in a right way to God, we've got to receive. And so I'm asking you for just these next couple of moments. Would you and I just, as we stand here, as we sing just a few stanzas of this song, would you just receive from God? Would you drink him in? Would you take him in? Would you allow him to saturate you? And just let him come in and begin to move and work and minister. And then in just a couple moments, we'll invite you to respond.